0: Debbie and I've struggled with alcohol, drugs, and codependency.
1: Hi, my name is Scott and I struggled with alcoholism and my identity and purpose in life.
0: My moment of clarity came when my husband lost his company. We were bankrupt and living with his parents. And I realized that a lot of the choices that we had made together and that I had made on my own had led to this situation that we were in and this horrible wreckage that we have created and it was completely overwhelming.
1: I was lost, I was without hope, living with my new bride of over a year in my parents' town home, really with no direction or any purpose in my life. I was able to find my way into the halls of uh, Overlake Christian Church, and through that found the program Celebrate Recovery, where I began to learn to deal with my hurts and my habits.
0: I was able to come to a place where I could be completely honest about my past, and about my struggles, and I was met with grace and understanding.
1: I found hope and strength in in my groups and my peers. I saw recovery in my marriage, in in the businesses, in my family. Uh, I've been fortunate to have children to raise today, and I just love this church, and I love everything that Celebrate Recovery has done for me in my life. Well,
0: Overlake, it is great to be with you today. I'm Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I'd love to invite you to grab your notes... Out of your handout, you'll see we're in a series called Unstuck. This is week two. And I really do want to encourage you to join us for all five weeks of this series because every week builds upon the week previous. And honestly, it's a journey that God has us on as a church. I have no doubt that God is going to do amazing things in Overlake and through our lives as we walk honestly with Him through this series. Um, if you were here last week, you remember that we, we unpacked one big truth the entire time we were together last Sunday, the big truth, is, uh, we put it on your notes, it's on the screen, it's that we realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable in certain areas. And if you're just joining us today for the first time, you might think, wait a sec, do I honestly have to admit that I'm not God? I mean, do people really think that they're God? Actually, we found a list. These are famous people who have claimed to be the Messiah over the years. Famously claiming, right? Like publicly, popularly claiming to be the Messiah. Doesn't even count the hundreds that were not famous, but still claimed to be the Messiah. I just want you to know that all of us tend to, to pretend to be God from time to time. And so I just want to tell you very clearly, very lovingly, you're not God, friend, right? You're not Jesus. You're not Thor. Uh, you're not Vishnu. Uh, you're not even Confucius, okay? Uh, you do not have the power to be God, to control your universe or to save yourself. And that's really the, the point there. We realize that we're not God. And it's because of our sin nature, right, that that causes us to control the situations around us, control the people around us, even to control our own lives. And it creates this illusion of safety. The reason for all this we talked about last week is because in all of our lives, deep down somewhere within us is uh, this thing called pain. That we have been hurt, we've been wounded, and we hate it. And so we go after all of these coping mechanisms, all of these sin tendencies, these behavior patterns in an attempt to mitigate our pain and to eliminate it. Uh, but the reality is none of us has it all together. And again, if you missed last week, I encourage you go on OCC.org. You can watch the message, listen to it. But, but it's a great way because last week I, I pretty much nailed everyone here, including myself. Right, We talked about all of the different things that we go after, uh, the, these coping mechanisms from alcohol abuse to codependency. We talked about overeating to medicating with television. We talked about seizing control and going passive. All of these things and many, many more are things that we turn to to save us, but they aren't God. And so the Bible calls anything that we turn to that's not God, the Bible calls that an idol or idolatry. And so the very beginning step, this first big truth, we just unpacked it and and we just got to the place where we could admit that we're messed up, right? I admit that I need something I don't possess on my own. I need forgiveness. I need wholeness and healing. I need restoration and peace. And I'm powerless to change my own condition, But when we finally admit that we're in that scenario, there can be this unpacking of more hope that's available to us. But you might want to, you know, kind of process this a little bit. You might say, Mike, I've been a Christian for a long time. Or I've been on this journey for a long time. Are you saying that even me, even though I've been a Christian for a while, I'm still in this place of wrestling where I go after these other things as a form of medication and I try to pretend I'm God? Yeah, we all do that. We all are still a part of that same broken scenario. And I found this uh, 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 poem, actually, by an incredible saint named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a great theologian and a prolific author, a great pastor. And he lived under Hitler's Germany. ...and he stood up against Hitler. He was one of the very few theologians in Germany that stood up against... ...that became a voice for the voiceless, the, the Jews and, and, and those who were being herded into the, uh, the, the camps there. And, and Bonhoeffer ended up giving his life. He was actually put to death in a concentration camp one month before the end of World War II. So here was a man who lived his faith. He put it all on the line for Jesus Christ... Even so, this is the wrestling match that he admits to. He says, Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once? A hypocrite before others and before myself, a contemptible, woebegone weakling? Or is it something within me still, like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. And so he's wrestling and he admits his wrestling and yet he declares at the end, I'm yours, God, whatever I am, whoever I am, I am yours. But friends, he's not the first saint to wrestle. In fact, you go all the way back to the very beginning, the birthplace of the, the Christian church movement and the followership of Jesus Christ and you'll find the Apostle Paul And this was an incredible saint. And he loved Jesus and he followed him and he started churches everywhere. He was a great missionary. He was a great teacher and leader. And and most of the New Testament is written from the pen of Paul. And even so, Paul is not uh, ashamed to admit his own wrestling. He writes in Romans chapter 7. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Friends, this passage is Paul admitting before all of history that he's a mess, and yet he's turning to the source of all hope, right? Thanks be to God. The answer is found in Jesus Christ. Now admitting that, taking that step, that's scary for a lot of people. But I would, I would uh, respond, uh, but what really are we afraid of? What is the loss by admitting this reality? See, isn't it our best thinking that gets us into the mess that we're currently in? Isn't it our, our, our attempts to control and behave our way to save ourselves from our pain that gets us into these stuck and unmanageable places of our lives? Friends, even though this feels scary, this is the first step to freedom by recognizing that we are not God and that we're powerless in these certain areas of our lives. But it brings us to the big truth, number two, which is we earnestly believe that God exists that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me recover. So the emphasis is we believe that He exists, right? There is a God, and this is a God of love, and it's a God to whom you matter, okay? It says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Anyone who comes to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And so we recognize, we earnestly see God, we believe in Him, and we believe that He has the power to help us recover. We mourn the loss of our own power to help save ourselves, right? We, we are the ones who are admitting we're powerlessness, uh, or our own powerlessness to do what we cannot do for ourselves. And, and, and friends, Jesus is saying, yeah, but that's the first step of hope. Because once we mourn that, once we admit it, then God is free to comfort us. He says uh, in Matthew five four, "Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted." And so, this is a process that many in the world today call recovery. If you're in the uh, faith language, you're going to call this sanctification. And again, that's a process as well. Recovery, sanctification. It simply means that we want to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That we invite Him more and more into these areas of brokenness within our lives. And, and in the off chance that you feel like this isn't a message for you because you're not having any issues that are flaring up right now. I simply want to say that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a part of this process. You are walking this road because being a follower of Jesus means by definition that every second of every day, God is recovering us from our sinful nature. Every step of every day, it's another opportunity for us to be conformed into the character of Jesus himself. And so, this is the source of our hope. This is where there is more hope than we could possibly imagine on our own. And I actually put an acrostic on your notes uh, so that we could remember this, dwell on it as we go from this place throughout our week. Uh, The H in hope stands for healing is possible. Healing is possible. And again, that's a kind of a baseline. That's the first step that we need to take. We need to say, you know, healing is possible. In my life, I admit, healing is possible. Because some of you have believed the lie that it's impossible. Some of you have even said to yourself, or you said to your spouse, or you've said to your kids, you know what, I'll never change. That's just the way I am. Asking me to change, is it's an impossibility. I, there's no way I can change. Because... I am this person. I've tried to change. I can't change. And, and so it's impossible for me to change. So that's why the first step is simply believing. No, it is possible that through God's help, there is healing, deep healing. That's a possibility for me and for you. Um, you know, we show these videos at the start of every uh, message in the series, right? Friends, these videos, we don't just show you so that Pastor Mike can have some more time during the week to focus on his tan, <laughs> oh, friends. When I, was, uh, when I was a Californian, I used to make fun of the farmer's tan. But now that I'm a Washingtonian, I aspire to one. <laughs> but no, we, we show these videos, these testimonies, because they're real-life examples of how once we come to the end of ourselves... Once we stop trying to be God and and stop trying to do it all on our own power, suddenly we make things opened up, right? And and healing is now possible. And of course, Paul writes about this in Philippians 4.13. He says, for I can do everything God asks me to do with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. We can do it through Christ who is working within us. We believe that healing is possible. Now, again, I want to go after your thinking a little bit. If you're thinking, no, it's impossible. I can't change. I can't do it. My son Caleb is in elementary school, and I've been working this last season on teaching him to tie his shoes. Now, my, my son, he's a great kid. He really is. But he tends towards the dramatic uh, from time to time. And so after trying to tie his shoes 20 times, 30 times, 180 times, uh, he, he will, uh, this, this is literally, I've seen him, he'll take one string in each hand and he'll throw it down in disgust and he'll say, this is impossible, right? <laughs> I need to get him into acting or something. Uh, he's got a, a flair for it. But, uh... You know, so here's dad, right? And I hear him say, this is impossible. And you know, what, what, what's my response? Buddy, it's, it's not impossible. I, I mean, I felt like that at one time. And I remembered how it was very, very difficult. But I, I promise you it's not impossible because I know how to tie shoes. I can do it, right? And not only can I do it, Caleb, I promise you, you can do it too. It is possible. And so to wrap the story up, just on Thursday morning, he comes down to cereal this week and he says, Dad, let me show you how I can tie my shoes. And he just did the whole thing right there. Double knot. Yeah, it's possible. Now, Caleb was up here. He could say, you know, I once was lost, but now I'm found, right? Like like he could give the testimony. It's possible to tie your shoes. Now, listen, you come to God And you say, God, it's impossible. There's no way that you can heal me. There's no way that I can get over this coping mechanism or this addiction or this behavior pattern. There's no way. I'm stuck here. It's just the way I am. It's impossible. And what do you think God's response is? It's possible. It's absolutely possible with my help. That brings us to the O. And the O is an openness to change. We believe healing is possible and we have an openness to change. I just want to ask you this morning, are you open to change? Are you ready to change? Are you you going to continue to walk the road that you've been walking with whatever areas of life are unmanageable? Or are you open to change? Because only you can make that decision. Only you can be open. Your spouse can't be open for you. Your friends can't be open for you. Your kids can't be open for you. Only you can be open to change, right? You believe healing's possible and you're open to change. And and throughout our lives, all of us are going to continue to encounter things that are hurtful, trials that we have to go to, circumstances that we're powerless to change. But with God's help, We can get through those things. We can let him change us for the better. They can make us better, not bitter. And this hope is the openness for us to change. Sometimes the path is right in front of us, but many times we refuse to see it or we're afraid to walk that road. We're unwilling to give up our need to be in control. Okay, the scripture says in Ephesians 4.23... ...instead of walking that road that we've walked so many times before... ...instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Right, we have a whole new perspective. We're open to change. I was talking to my buddy Greg this week... ...and he was telling me about an experience. It was the first mission trip that he'd ever been on. And he was out of the country for ten days or two weeks... ...and he came back into his life here in the Northwest... And he just looked around his apartment and he looked around his neighborhood and he looked around the ways that he lived and the things that he did and the ways that he spent his money. And he just realized, you know what, I was looking at it all with a different perspective. Why was I doing the things that I were doing? And he became open. He became willing to change his life so that God could have greater and greater control in the way that he was living his life. And it simply begins with sort of this statement. Maybe there's a better way to do this, right? Maybe there's a better way to do life. It's like talking to the guy who, who, um, he learned how to use a fax machine. And so that's all he does is is use fax machines. He's always looking around for a fax machine. And he's always uh, upset when you don't have a fax machine at your disposal. You're like, why do I need a fax machine? Because I want to send you messages, And I can't send you messages if you don't have a fax machine. You're like, buddy, there's a better way, right? It's called email. And it works instantly. No paper. It's a good thing. Or even better, uh, texting. Uh, Are you on this wave? Raise your hand if you know and employ the opportunity of texting on your phones. Just raise your hand. Show of hands. Okay, I'm a little disappointed. Friends, you're going to need to step on board, okay? This is a wave. It's not going away, all right? It's very easy. People have their phones with them. It's a good way to communicate back and forth. Here's what I want you to know. My dad is visiting uh, me this weekend. He's coming up from California. Uh, I want to share with you just my very favorite texting experience with him. Uh, He's from Oklahoma. And so this year, when the Oklahoma Sooners were in the bowl games, they won. And so I texted a message to my mom and my dad. And what I said to them was this. I think we have it on the screen. Go OU, thinking of you both and enjoying OU dominance. And I waited a while. And then this was the text I got back from my dad. That was the most thoughtful text exchange I've ever had with him. It was the only text exchange we've ever had. but uh, Yeah, I, I just want you to understand that in many areas of our lives, there are, there's this unwillingness to change. There's a lack of openness that there's a better way. So you're just saying to yourself, I believe healing is possible, and maybe there's a better way. The P in hope stands for the power to change. The power to change. You see, in your past, you have been wanting the change but you've been unable to make it a reality in your life we cannot free ourselves from our hurts our habits and our hangups all we can do is medicate all we can do is cope with it we can mitigate our pain we cannot change on our own we don't have that power and so we trust in God's power instead it's his love that can change our situation it's his love that can heal our deep woundings And you've probably heard the term higher power. It's used in recovery language. Well, friends, our higher power has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is our power. And He loves us and He desires and invites us into a hands-on, day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship of love with Him. He does work within us that we cannot do for ourselves. Romans 11.36 says, "...everything comes from God alone... Everything lives by His power. You might want to circle that last phrase, by His power. It's His power in us that gives us the hope for change. The Apostle Paul, again, walking through his own story and his own wrestling match, he shares with us what Jesus communicated to him. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Jesus says to Paul, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul concludes Now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I want to read you a quote from an incredible author named Sarah Young. She wrote a book called Jesus Calling, and and, and she takes scripture and she rewrites it as if it's spoken from Jesus to us. It's very personal this book. And and so this is, again, paraphrase. It's, It's paraphrase of Jesus' words to you. Come to me with empty hands and an open heart, ready to receive abundant blessing. I know the depth and breadth of your neediness. Your path has been difficult, draining you of strength. Come to me for nurture. Let me fill you with my presence. My power flows most freely into weak ones aware of their need for me. Faltering steps of dependence are not lack of faith. They are links to my presence. Somehow we think when we get it all together, then we'll be worthy of God's love. Friends, what the scripture says is when we admit our need, suddenly we're open to receiving his power. Psalm 25.5 says, Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. And so we simply recognize it's His power at work in our lives. The E in hope stands for expect to change. Expect to change. Some of you did expect to change last week, and you came to church, and you expected to change, and you haven't changed this week. I just want to say, friends, we're only on week two. This is only the second big truth, right? Don't give up hope. When we're just steps away from seeing God unfold his healing and his recovery in our lives. With God's help, the changes that we long for are just steps ahead. And Paul writes of this in Philippians one six. He says, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we expect that God is at work within us. We expect that His healing is unfolding. We expect that His power is on the move. We expect that we are on the journey of change. Because recovery is a process. Again, the biblical word sanctification. Sanctification is a process. There are different processes than sobriety. And what that means is sobriety is simply staying away externally from the the things, the habits or the substances or the relationships that have kept us in bondage. That's what sobriety is. But recovery is a work of the heart. Recovery is when our actual desires are being changed and reformed so that we no longer desire those old things that have kept us in bondage. And it does strengthen our no muscle, so we're able to say no to those temptations. But it's also a work of God bringing healing and bringing wholeness within us to heal the deep wounds that are under the surface. And that's really the help that we need. Fortunately, that's the help that Christ brings to us. And I want to give you this passage. It's from Second uh, Peter 1, verses 2 through 4. And friends, this is a passage I really want to encourage you to mull over this week. I want you to take this and to wrestle through these truths. Uh, Peter writes, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So you take a look at that passage and you see that it's his divine power that is granted to us everything we need, right? Pertaining to life and godliness, it's all because of his power that's given to us. And then you look a couple lines later and you see it's his precious and magnificent promises at work within our lives. It is it is uh, his divine nature that's working within us, making us partakers of his nature, right? All this work is work that God is doing. We're seeing his power at work unfolding itself in our lives. And so it's because it's God's deal in us, we can expect to change. We can expect to change because this is his will for us. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Some of you might remember this verse. Uh, it's, It's Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who initiates it, and he's the one who sustains it and completes it. Now, you might be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for years. And you might say, well, Mike, I've been following Jesus, but I still feel like I wrestle. I still feel like temptation has a hold on me. I've got coping mechanisms. I've got these sin tendencies, these medications going on. How come? How come I don't have more of the divine nature? How come his promises and his blessings aren't aren't uh, more fully uh, exposed and revealed in my life? Well, here's why. I want to show you a graph. And this is a graph of what our old life and our new life look like as they interact. Now, you'll see that the strength is on the one side, the time on the other. And so when, you know, when we first come to Christ or before we're in Christ, our old nature is very strong, right? It's high on the strength level. And then our new nature is very weak, right? The, the new work that Christ is doing in us, it's, it's very, very young and immature, And so the metaphor that I want you to see between the old nature and the new nature, our new nature really is like a baby, okay? It's like a baby that needs to be fed and nurtured and cared for. And so we feed our new nature with scripture and with accountability and great life groups and a good, uh, you know, friendship base to help us be on the right path. and, And we just care for our new nature as if we would care for a baby and then we would see it grow stronger and stronger over time. Our old nature, the Bible talks about, needs to be crucified. And if you know anything about crucifixion, you know that that is not a quick death. But it's a death that takes a long time. It's a death that actually is a death by suffocation. And it takes a long, long time. And so our old self, we seek to crucify, right? And that that becomes weaker and weaker and weaker over time. But notice this, that no matter how weak our old nature gets, no matter how strong our new nature gets, while we are living... In this life, in a fallen world, they're both realities in us. And so obviously there are going to be wrestling matches and there are going to be times when temptation seems to have a hold on us. We need to be aware of this paradigm. Or another way to think of it is... Um, came up with this analogy this week. Uh, these are Christmas lights. Now... I I, I said to my wife, you know, I'd like to wait for a sunny day to take my Christmas lights down from the house. Uh, So I took them down this week. And, uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, So these are Christmas lights, right? And, And these Christmas lights would represent a life. They would represent you, perhaps. And when you come to Jesus and you trust in Jesus, it's like the lights go on. Now you have His power in your life. Now you have His working within you. He's unfolding His reality. You are saved. You're His. You're His child. But you notice that they're still tangled. And the work of untangling, right, this cord, is the work of sanctification. It's the work of recovery. And it's going on in your life right now. God is at work within you. He has already filled you. And now He is at work in your life, untangling your life, making you more and more like Him. That's the reality. And so, yeah, we expect to change and and we recognize all of these things to be true. This is something I speak of from time to time. It's called a trajectory truth. And here's what this means. The trajectory truth is it is important where you are right now. Absolutely. It's important where you are spiritually right now. But it's not as important as the trajectory you're on. Because the trajectory you're on, if you you are feeding your new nature and you are growing more and more like him, that is the most important thing. If you are seeking to crucify that old nature and you are inviting God's power to help you do that more and more in your life, that is the most important thing. It's the trajectory you're on. And so, yeah, we expect God to work within us. We expect for him to untangle our lives. And this brings us to big truth number three. If you're filling in the blanks, it's that we would consciously choose to commit all my life and all my will to Christ's care and control. We commit all life and all of our will into Christ's control. Jesus himself says in the most famous sermon ever preached, he says, happier the meek. Blessed are the meek. In other words, we we recognize, we don't have to be in control. It's not our power. We're not the ones calling the shots. We want him to call the shots. It's a simple statement that he is the author of life, and he knows more about life than we do. And so we commit our life into his care. We have tried to control our life, and it's brought us to these areas of unmanageability. So now we offer Him control so that He would be in control. We wouldn't have to. Friends, this actually frees us up so that we can enjoy our relationship of love with God more and more. And this is a process of turning from the old life, of turning from control, of turning from our medications and our idols and turning to God. The Bible talks about this in the form of repentance, but really it's just a turning. Jesus says in Mark five or Mark 1, 15 rather, turn from your sins and act on this glorious news. And so we turn from our old life, we turn from the life of control, we turn to the new life that Jesus brings, and we are changed by His Spirit as we commit ourselves to Him. He gives us a second chance or a third chance or a 10,000th chance, and we don't have to live by our old ways anymore. And that's why the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, when someone becomes a Christian, a Christ follower, when we trust him, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. And so all of us, as we walk this road, we are conformed more and more to the character of Jesus. But don't think for a moment that if all of us are conformed to the character of Jesus, that means we're all going to look identical. Because that's absolutely untrue. No, the more we conform to the character of Jesus, the more we are free to be the unique individual that God had intended for us to be from the very beginning, before we began to be conformed to all of this stuff in the world. And so God wants to set us free. The more we reveal Christ in us, the more unique, the more special, the the more glorious, I would say, each one of us is. And what this means is that we need to work a little bit on acceptance. That we accept the uniqueness in one another. That, that we look at someone else and we don't judge. But we simply accept and love. Knowing that Christ has accepted us. We accept one another. And if somebody stumbles, we don't judge. We simply encourage and help and support. If we ourselves stumble, we don't judge. We simply accept ourselves. We get back up. And we continue to pursue Jesus. And the scripture says in Romans fifteen seven, Accept one another then. For the glory of God as Christ has accepted you. And so that's what the challenge is. In fact, I want to state it very clearly as I close. The challenge is this. That you would admit that you're not God. And that while you try to be God and be in control, you bring yourself to pain. But instead, that you would allow God to do for you. And to do in you and to do through you what you cannot do yourself. That you would believe in him. That you would trust in Him, commit your care and will into His control. And that you would allow His power to bring healing in your life. That's the challenge. You know, last week we talked about a door. We talked about opening the door and stepping through the door. And it's Jesus who's knocking on the door of our hearts right now. It's Jesus who's inviting us to open that door. And this is the door of hope. Right, if you keep that door closed, here's what you're saying. You're saying, Jesus, I'm good. I I I don't need anything from you. I've got it all handled. I can take care of it on my own. Right? I'm good. I'm fine. But if you're opening the door, what you're saying is this God, I need you. I, I need you to help me. I need you in these circumstances, I need you in these relationships. I need you in these behaviors. I need you because when I'm in charge, I tank things. But when you're in charge, I experience life. And so I'm opening the door, and I'm walking through the door with you. Now, friends, I I would love for you to, in these moments, I would love for you to recognize that you are on the threshold of the door that Jesus has been knocking on the door of your heart. And I don't know what that looks like because every one of us is on a unique path. I don't know whether it's circumstances. I don't know whether it's behaviors. I don't know whether it's addictions for you. I I don't know where it is that you have said to yourself in the mirror, in total isolation, you've said to yourself, this is just the way I am. It'll never change. But right now you're at the door. Right now you have an opportunity to open the door And to walk through the door with Jesus and to experience more hope than you ever dreamed possible. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you do love us and that each one of us do matter to you. I want to thank you that you have invited us to open the door today. That you're whispering your love and your care and your concern to each one of us right now. And Jesus, I thank you for that. And so right now, collectively, we want to say yes. We, we believe that healing is possible. We are open to your change in our lives. We confess that all of the power that we need is available in you today. And we expect to change. Thank you for being at work. Thank you for never giving up on us. And thank you for the recognition that you are here that you are with us and there's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from your love. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.